Welcome to the Future Print Podcast, celebrating print technology and the people behind it. Well, hi, welcome to this week's Future Print Podcast. And this one is an interesting one because it's a, an old friend of the show, as they say in DJ land. Uh, Colin McMahon, who's spoken to us several times for many years, has had many different disguises or guises, but is always interesting in terms of giving us a bit of a view of, of what's going on out in the world. Sometimes a bit about print focus, but actually wider than that, a little bit more than that, a little bit more interesting, going looking at sort of agile product development, digital transformation. Let's let's just explore everything and anything. So, Colin, welcome. Hi, Fraser. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate the disguise comment on Halloween. So Actually, who knows what mask I'll wear today? Yeah, good point. You've got kids, haven't you? Five and two. So uh, you'll definitely definitely be thinking about that, even if you're not out on the street, because I know that they haven't been very well. So um, listen, yeah, good to speak to you. Just quickly for anyone who doesn't know you, because as I said, we, we've spoken before, but anyone who doesn't know you, just give us a bit of your background, because you're now at PTC. But explain who you've been working for before and tell us a bit more about PTC. Sure. So as you said, I'm um, the principal market research analyst at PTC, uh, working for their corporate uh, marketing team. They're kind of unified voice behind, you know, if if you don't know PTC, uh, we don't make the rockets, but we make the software that NASA uses to make the rockets. You know, we're a manufacturing technology company. We produce software solutions. We cover the whole gamut of the manufacturing space, multiple industries, um, with the goal of, you know, helping companies embrace digital transformation and see the benefits of it. You know, we're not about jargon. We're not about just slapping, you know, be agile, go to the metaverse, do whatever. No, no, <laughs> we want our clients to actually see results and do their work better in a way that's mm. more efficient, more sustainable, more profitable. Yeah. Um, and it was just a little bit of my background. I came up with uh, Keypoint Intelligence, formerly InfoTrends. So I spent a lot of time in the print industry, still doing research, still with the eye on the future, because I've always just been very fascinated with how things change and how things stay the same despite the change sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, yeah, as you say, despite the changes. Yeah, exactly. But so you, you, yeah, as you said, you have an interest in the print industry. But as you say, also, you're looking at other things, aren't you? You're kind of taking a look at various different areas, and manufacturing is one of them. Mm -hmm. Workforce trends, another, um, which we'll talk about. I love the fact we're going to talk about leaders and laggards in a moment. So, yeah, just give us a bit of a kind of uh, an understanding of what you particularly are looking at at a moment. What, what kind of areas do you particularly focus on at the moment? Sure. So we've we've been covering a few topics over the last um, year at PTC. Uh, kind of at the corporate level, we're very interested in the evolving workforce. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times it's called uh, employee retention or you know specialized uh, specialized knowledge. I mean, some people are like, well, people are retiring, and it's like, well, people have granted COVID accelerated that, but people have always been retiring. So it's really about the new workforce coming in, mm -hmm. and less about the old workforce going out. Mm -hmm. um, We've also been very focused on sustainability. We've been very focused on um, digital, working with the evolution of the digital twin on issues around, a few issues around AI, mm -hmm. uh, kind of just a wide gamut of things. Mm -hmm. Let me pick you up on the first one because I'm sure. always interested in it. So you talk a little bit about sort of 
aging population you're thinking about um as you said yourself you know we've been aging for a long time haven't we there's always been people who are at the end of their their working career so that's not changed um we also hear a little bit about the hundred year age where you know young people so your kids your your two and five year old will the, the likelihood is that they'll live to 95 100 years of age and no, here's hoping yeah 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 here's hoping exactly that but more than likely that'll be them and their peers will be you know knocking on the door of 100 years of age quite easily so how does that impact on um, on kind of the workforce and the way they'll behave and the way that young people you know we talk about the gen z and we talk about the millennials what's what's happening so as you have um, more generations sharing, as you point out, people are retiring. Some are still retiring earlier, but we do expect people to maybe retire later as lifespans extend. As you know, some people can't wait to leave the workforce. Some people want to do it until the day they die, and both both cases are fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But we see a need to change how work is done, how knowledge is transferred, how at uh, work how uh, organizations educate their incoming workers just because the millennials gen z and you know gen alpha after them don't want to learn or really can't learn the same way that you know gen x or the boomer generation did why is that it's more just expectations like when gen x or you know even i remember it growing up i grew up before you know the computer or before the internet revolution. So I have that 10-year memory before the internet was a thing. Mm. And I understand what life was like. But you know, for Gen Z and, and Gen Alpha and every generation beyond, that no longer exists. And so mm. they grow up with a connected, digital-first world mm. where it's, you know, the idea of doing everything in a digital landscape with your friends, doing a lot of some things with your family, doing some things with your school. And then if you go to a workplace that's does not have that infrastructure in mind and hasn't really thought yeah. about it, they're going to really just hit a wall that they yeah, are yeah. going to have a hard time getting around. Yeah. And I guess uh, that there is an argument that says, if you are that sort of organization, a bit of a sort of mom and pop kind of small setup, traditional technology, traditional way of doing things, uh, that the younger people are not going to be particularly attracted to that. Is that what you're saying? They're going to find it more challenging than mm. than an older person would who has like more of that experience of like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. I've done this before. I know what mm. this is. They're just going mm. to see it as, as strange and alien. And that's not yeah. to say they can't do it. But, yeah, it will kind of exist as a barrier, uh, yeah. at least initially. Yeah, no, I completely get that. And that, that makes sense. And I think that point you made is right, is there was traditionally – I'm not suggesting that we were motivated by carrot and stick, but there was – you go back to the sort of 60s or 50s, then they're definitely that carrot and stick approach to workflow was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, was still being used. There was obviously a shift towards a much more self-empowered way of working. And that probably comes through. And that, I guess, is what young people are looking for. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's apart from the whole uh, technology expectations is that we see and just, you know, general research that, yeah, younger people and younger generations are putting there's a much greater focus on the work-life balance. And, you know, mm. there's could be many reasons for that. It could be these are kids who grew up, you know, watching their parents work late. Mm. I actually saw like a great quote to that. It's like the only one who remembers that you work late all those nights is your kids, <laughs> you know, like at yep. the end of the day, it's like, yeah, they would be kind of 
grabbed by that. Um, I think it's also, you know, the recent pandemic, which got a lot of people thinking about how, you know, the kind of life they want to live. Yeah. I think it's it's awareness of just a general state of anxiety. Like, let's yep. just call it that in the news today with like a lot of uh, turbulent geopolitical events, you know, climate yep. change continues to make headlines. So I think there's this whole thing of like, just a reordering of priorities based on the world around them. So mm. like every generation, they're, they're reactive to their yep. environment. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because Marcus and I were talking a little earlier about um, the whole sense that a lot of the messaging that we're hearing is quite gloomy. So, as you say, you know, sustainability, massive issue, climate change, big issue, economic crisis, major issue. These are all quite mm-hmm. gloomy news items, aren't they? And it's reframing those to not sound as though, oh, my goodness, this is the end of the world. More that actually these are all about opportunities. These are, you know, these are things that actually we can manage, we can cope with and take advantage of if we're effective. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, and climate change is probably the best example because every day you can see hope in the climate fight. You know, people are are coming up with ways to defeat climate change. It's it's happening, but I think unfortunately that hope is balanced with the gloom of like, well, you also read about, well, this company doesn't want to do it, or you know, the big pushback from like this established industry just doesn't want to change and is you know trying to frankly put out messaging that says it doesn't matter if we change, which is nonsense because mm. yeah, we absolutely can defeat climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's, tre- as you said, tremendous opportunity in defeating mm-hmm. climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Business opportunities as well. Aren't of they? Course. You know, that's, the, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. We hear a lot about the kind of AI and how that's impacting on manufacturing. Obviously we're very much in the print market. What, what do you sense from that? The AI kind of revolution? Well, we're in the early stages, you know, the, mm-hmm. the starting gun has gone off. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's honestly trying to guess, you know, five, 10 years from now, who knows we're, we'll yeah. see with AI. Uh, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of push and pull, yeah. uh, but what we're already seeing in the space is, you know, there's multiple areas where it has transformative impact. Like one is just customer service. Um, we've seen for the past few years, you know, if you go on a website, half the time now you get greeted by a chat bot, like, hi, how can I help you? And chatbots are kind of a form of AI, but they're very simple. I mean, essentially all they do is they understand the most, like if I ask a question, uh, they already have a pre-programmed list of very common questions people ask, and they'll match me to that answer. Yep. So essentially it's a matching tool. It's like, oh, he asked question A, we'll match yep. him with answer yep. A, or he asked. Yep, yep, yep. Now, ChatGBT and large language models like it, they are a little more complex and that mm. you can ask any question you want. And they will understand. I hate. I hesitate to use the word "understand" because they don't yeah. really understand. But it will decipher it in a much more cohesive and comprehensive way, and actually be able to have a bit of a conversation with you. Now, the the limits of of these tools right now. I know a lot of people have been singing their praises, but unfortunately, a large language model doesn't know what's true and what's mm-hmm. fictional. Like if it's pulling from, say, the internet, and we all know that there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation on the internet. Yeah. Uh, there's a chance that the information is going to get you and it's going to very confidently state this information is wrong. So companies are trying to reduce, you know, you can make, uh, say, a tool that's like, well, instead of digging through the whole internet, it only digs through these websites and these websites are reputable. Mm -hmm. So therefore, its information is more likely to be accurate, but still not a one, you know, at the end of the day, it can't tell. But all of that said, it will increase the the likelihood of being able to automatically answer questions and improve customer service more than, say, the current 
and kind of now getting past gen wave of like chatbots that we've been seeing online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just one one area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, think it's, it's interesting that it's interesting. Do you think can can people in business use AI to do things like sort of translate their copy into uh, different languages, for example? Yeah, I mean that's that's another advantage. I mean, I would I would say I would hesitate on it. You know, maybe only translate to a language that someone in your organization speaks, so you can just give it a quick fact check before it goes yeah. out the door. But yeah. those tools are incredibly powerful, as has been shown with ChatGPT. Yeah, translation may become much less of an obstacle in the next five years. Of like, oh, we've created this this document. How do we share it with this diverse group of of image of um recipients who you know may not all understand english or may not all understand french whatever the native language is yep yeah that barrier is going to go down drastically it may not mm. entirely disappear but that's spreading you know information and education should be easier than ever before yeah. unfortunately that'll be also true of misinformation and disinformation <laughs> that is the problem isn't it that's is one of the issues um so just i know when we we were kind of just having a chat beforehand you talked a lot about uh, kind of agile product development. So what what's this about? What's, explain to me what you're thinking here. Okay, so agile product development, for those who haven't heard, like agile as a concept has been around evolving for decades. It was really kind of first crystallized, I think in 2001 as the agile manifesto, which was purely create, you know, I think like 20 something software developers met up and they were like, well, let's have a meeting or mm-hmm. a series of meetings and figure out uh, kind of a list of best practices of how we can more quickly and effectively develop software in a way that is sustainable. You know, how do we repeat these processes? How do we change the workflow in a way that benefits us, benefits our customers, benefits everybody? Yeah, so that right. was Agile's birth, for lack of a better word, was the Agile Manifesto. And it was purely software. And it spread like wildfire in the software space. Like now it is the dominant workflow tool. But actually, almost everything in the Agile Manifesto, like it's 12 core values. Uh, is not software specific. Like it's very simple. Like, you know, you should have more conversations with your customer. You should bring your customer in early, you know, connect with them every day, kind of work mm. with them. Mm. Uh, like one of the principles is I think like there's no form of communication that is a substitute for like a face-to-face conversation. Yeah. So it's like just very much like agile is all about stressing communication, collaboration, transparency, and just this consistent value delivery. Now in software, that's a product. Like you'll do a sprint and, you know, in a two weeks or even two months, you'll have a new working piece of software. Yeah, Hardware that's tougher because, you know, obviously you can't create a new machine or a new part or a new, you know, device every two weeks. That's insane. Yep. But it's very easily adaptable in the sense that you can change that from like consistently de- uh, delivering working product to consistently delivering value or measurable Mm. value so it's like okay uh in this four-week sprint we won't create a new product but we will get to this point in the Mm. development process that we can measure and point to Mm. yeah yeah that that makes sense and and having sort of smart goals that are achievable aren't they Mm -hmm. yeah it really can it can take a very complex uh, process you know the development of hardware and just break it down into very digestible chunks yeah and the people involved in those chunks aren't necessarily just like, well, this is going to go to the designers first, and they're going to mm-hmm. do the designs, and that's going to go to the engineers, and the engineers will have feedback for the designers, so it goes right back to the design. Like, no, like, agile teams tend to be made up of designers, of engineers, of the client, of all these stakeholders, just so that every conversation, every meeting, 
will have that feedback and be able to spot problems of, you know, the engineer being like, oh, we want this new device to do this. Yeah. And the designer being like, let me tell you, that's not possible. Like we don't have the right parts to the supply chains. You know, you catch those problems before they become big, expensive problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you started touching on on sort of one part of agile product development being the sort of face-to-face uh, approach in product sales and development of, of, of kind of, you know, the final sale of a product. We're increasingly seeing that um, video is being used a lot to, mm-hmm. and not just video, but online generally is being used a lot as the sort of sifting, you know, I mean, we've been seeing this for a long period of time, but increasingly information is coming at you via different mechanisms. And that idea that you need a salesman to pitch it to you is kind of less and less, isn't it? So what are you seeing around that? Well, it's funny, right? It's like the there's less emphasis on sales, more emphasis on education. Yeah. Um, especially content. we see it at we see it at PTC all the time. Like some of the mm. stuff we're talking about, you know, spatial computing, mm. uh, digital twin, you know, generative AI, these are complex terms and these are in concepts and like we don't want as i said at the beginning we don't want to just spew out jargon like if we ever yeah. say industrial metaverse it's not because we're trying to hop on a bandwagon it's because we have a specific platform in mind so i think as you point out like there's so many mediums and i think people want that education they go looking for it and i'm not going to say there's a distrust around sales but like we we've talked we talk to customers occasionally and we have heard from customers well the salesperson they just tell us what you know They'll ask us yeah. what we want. We'll tell them what we want, and then we'll be. And then they'll say, "Oh, that's great! Our product yeah, does one hundred percent of that." And that's not really what they're looking for. Nah. Like, if you go looking to a salesperson, you want them to tell you what's possible, and like, here's the solution we're offering, and here's all the things it can do for you. You want that salesperson to already have that knowledge of your organization. If you're going to buy a car or automobile, then you are going to want to look at some independent videos exactly. content to tell you what was good and what's not good. Cause you don't want to go down to, to Ford or GM and, and say, tell me about your cars. Cause they'll just tell you all the good stuff. So it's kind of, yeah. I mean, we've, know, we've all been cool. to a car lot. They're all winners, mm, exactly. right? There's no, yeah, there's they're all, winners. There's no yeah, exactly. they're all your perfect, not just they're all winners. They're all your perfect car. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can see you in that car now. I can see you. In that <laughs> yeah, seat. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, okay. especially as these, you know, as this gets more complex as people are like, okay, like I need a new, software, you know, I need a new project, product lifecycle management uh, solution that's going to integrate with my existing software that's going to improve my, you know, product uh, development cycles. Mm. I don't need someone to just tell me they've got the best solution. I need the one that works best for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's in the past, the salesman would have done the questioning to say, okay, they still still do. I don't mean to be putting down salespeople. I'm just saying that like the need for a good sales team is still paramount, but also the need to get the educational material out there. So it's easily accessible. Yeah. People can have a start. Your point also, you talked a little bit about information and trust. I think there's definitely a sense, isn't there, that if you provide free information that's trustworthy and good value and useful and informative, then people will trust you and will start exactly. to come to you as a source of information. And then that helps, doesn't it, in that selling process. So, yeah, I, I, there's something in there. Um, I wanted to just finally touch on the thing that we chatted about earlier, leaders and laggards. It sounds like a, a, a pirate movie, um, <laughs> the leaders and laggards. Um, just tell us a bit more about what you're doing in that area, because that's quite interesting. Yeah, so last year we did a piece of research um, 
I believe it was called Digital Transformation, What Leaders Do Differently, or yep. something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, and essentially we we worked, you know, as a research project, we conducted a survey, we fielded it. Uh, and one of the opening questions we asked, we asked our respondents to self-identify, you know, do you think in your competitive space, would you say that your organization that you work for is a leader or mm-hmm. it's a laggard? Mm-hmm. You know, are you are you leading the pack or are you a little behind? And people like they they did. Like there was no uh, criteria to me. This was just a simple self-identification. But right away, we saw a big difference in how these two groups responded to certain questions. Like that first survey, um, because it was fielded last year, it had some questions on the pandemic and in particular, how businesses were operating before the pandemic. Yep. And we noticed that leaders had a much more higher percentage to say that they were flexible or even remote before the pan- they were exploring software, they're exploring infrastructure that let them do these things before the pandemic hit. In other words, they're being proactive. Yeah. Uh they wanted to be, you know, decentralized. They didn't want to be dependent on like, well, we have to get everyone into this office or this workspace every single day in order for yeah. things to happen. Whereas laggards were really really clinging to that. Uh and so as a result when the pandemic happened, Across the board, leaders enjoyed much higher benefits, you know, employee retention, talent acquisition, productivity rates, innovation rates, workplace culture, all of that performed much higher among these companies that were proactive in their digital transformation efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just kind of continue, like every time we look at it, like we're, we're looking now towards Agile and like Agile is one of those things we were talking about. If I'm like, hey, is your company Agile? Everyone will say their company is agile, yeah. even if it's not. And likewise, yeah. I've also been on some conversations with customers where we'll be like, do you think you're agile? And they'll say no. And then they'll detail five agile processes that they use to make products. Mm. And it comes back to that need for education, as we talked about. Um, but like to be agile isn't just as simple as saying yes or no. Like we're, mm. as we're seeing with the data, these companies, these leaders in this case, tend to embrace technology earlier. They tend Mm. to want to use it in more stages of their product lifecycle, you know, whether it's uh, hardware or software. And they kind of want to integrate and automate wherever they can. Because when you automate, not only does it make your work faster, but it gives you kind of a more complete picture of what's happening. You know, if you've automated uh, how these machines work, you should be able to get information of like, okay, here's what we did this cycle. Here's what we did this cycle. And when you have that information, you can use it more effectively than someone who's like, you know, well, I don't know exactly how much we did, but it's in this ballpark, mm. right? Yeah, that's interesting, actually, that point you made. So there's a few few things in there. I just want to kind of unpick that a little sure. bit. Um, there was a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. So just going back to the way you approach this research was you asked companies whether they were leaders or laggards, did you? Well, the, the respondents within the company. We didn't ask the company itself. These were just people who work there. Yeah. Okay. So you asked people who worked at company said, do you work for a leader or a laggard? Yeah. Well, how would you rate where you work? Yeah. Do you think and you're then, working at a place that's you know head of the pack or behind? Yeah. yeah. And then you ask them more questions about the kind of structure, the kind of environment, the kind of... And in essence, what you're saying, the people that felt they were working for leaders and they, they were more open businesses. They were much more flexible already, even pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And also the point you made later is that they were integrated and automated. Is that yes. right? Yeah. They have a in general, you know, and this makes a little this makes sense because leaders do tend to be 
uh, not just early adopters, but more mainstream adopters. Whereas laggards, you know, yeah, there's some early adopters in there, but it's much more mainstream or even late adopters. Yeah, so these are they're willing companies... to try these things, aren't they? They're willing to try and implement the certain things that are interesting. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. So this still is is you know it's still there. You kind of sense that this is still clearly a way that if you look at businesses, they'll they'll lean one way or the other. Yeah, and I think honestly. With the pace of you know innovation being as fast as it is, the differences could get much, much more. I mean, again, we're on the start of the AI revolution. Yeah. The companies that embrace it now, and you know, again, I'm not saying AI is a perfect tool. It is not. It is not a substitute. It will not replace humans, at least not mm. in its current form. But it's still useful, right? Mm. Like whereas these other these laggards, there's this attitude of reluctance, and we've seen this. Um, Especially when, again, it comes to agile, I think for laggards, like one of the number one like reasons we can't do it is just internal reluctance. It's nothing to do with money or technology or infrastructure, any of it. It's just yeah. the people at the top don't want to try. They don't want to try um, to change. They like the way they're, the things are. Right. And mm. unfortunately for them, it's like, okay, but there's a reason everyone's going to agile. Like it lets yeah. you do things faster, more sustainably, and like with just greater levels of employee engagement, which tends and, to be- and adaptable as well. So you have, right. so you're not defined by the environment. You are helping you, you work around the environment, whatever's hitting you. And clearly there are things hitting you because you have COVID previously, you have economic crisis, you have war in countries, you know, all over the place, you have anxiety, that whole kind of uh, ambiguousness about, we don't know what the future looks like. So there's lots of things going on, aren't there? So this agility enables mm-hmm. you to respond doesn't it yeah i mean it really and it, it's kind of darwinian you know survival mm. of the fittest which yeah. does not mean survival of the strongest it means survival of that which is most suited to its environment and we live yeah. in an environment that is changing like there is no yeah. other way around it yeah 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 absolutely listen it's been really interesting talking to you we've already done about 28 minutes which is great um so thank you very much colin was there anything you wanted to add at the end just as we we kind of wrap up quite interesting uh-huh. what you said certainly no, I'll just say thank you for having me, Fraser. Happy to be oh, here. Always good to see you. And thank you very much for giving us a bit of insight. Um, really interesting what you said. I think, uh, you know, completely get where you're coming from on that. And so thank you very much for taking your time out to, to have a chat with us. Of course. Thanks, Colin. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe now for more great audio content coming up. And visit futureprint.tech for the latest news, partner interviews, in-depth industry research, and to catch up on content from FuturePrint events. We'll see you next time on the FuturePrint podcast.